KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. Philadelphia has no shortage of interesting places to check out, but one that doesn't get the attention it deserves is the Shofuso House in West Fairmount Park. It is a gorgeous, unique spot with a fascinating history that offers a real window into Japanese culture. We wanted to learn more about Shofuso House and what people can learn there, so we caught up with Rob Busher. He is Associate Director of Organizational Culture for the Japan American Society of Greater Philadelphia. Want to note that we recorded this interview prior to the recent vandalism that Shofuso House was subjected to. The house is still open, still a great place to visit. And if you want to help or support them, we encourage you to go to the support section of their website. So I'm fascinated kind of how we got to here. Kind of give me the origin story, the backstory of Shofuso House. How did it come to be? So in the immediate aftermath of World War II, the MoMA, Museum of Modern Art in New York City, had a series of exhibits called A House in the Garden. And they were hiring modern architects from around the country and around the world to design site-specific houses for their sculpture garden in Manhattan. And so the first two exhibits were very successful, very modern styles of architecture. The third architect they reached out to was Junzo Yoshimura a Japanese architect who was very prominent in the modern architecture scene, helped to rebuild a lot of post-war Tokyo and post-war Japan. And instead of building a modern house, he said to the MoMA, well, Japanese traditional architecture is already modern because form follows function and it's a utilitarian nature of space. So I'm gonna build you a traditional Japanese house. And the curators at MoMA said, well, I guess we can't argue with that. And so that's how it came to be. It's actually a 17th century style of architecture, showing zukuri. It's typically used as temple guest houses. And this particular house was designed in uh, response to the Kojoin, a temple that's uh, just north of Kyoto. And the house itself was actually manufactured completely in Nagoya, Japan, taken apart piece by piece, shipped to New York City and reconstructed in Midtown Manhattan. And so it lived there from about 1954 through the end of the 1955 season, at which point it was deconstructed. And then the Rockefellers, as well as uh, Japan Society New York, paid for it to be shipped piece by piece to Philadelphia's West Fairmount Park, where it was reconstructed and ultimately has been there since 1958. Why Philadelphia? Philadelphia is actually, despite its somewhat small Japanese and Japanese American population, one of the few sites on the East Coast of the United States that has had a continual Japanese cultural presence since Japan began doing trade with the West. The first Japanese embassy, the mission where the ambassador of Japan, even before the emperor was restored to the throne, came in 1860. And from 1872 and onwards, there was this important presence of Japanese diplomats and ultimately the exposition of 1876, the Centennial Expo, a huge deal for West Philly. Fairmount Park wouldn't exist without it. A lot of the infrastructure that was built at that time period to bring people in from around the country is the basis of the infrastructure of West Philly today. And because of this history of the Centennial Exposition, the Japanese empire had built a pavilion as part of this international expo to demonstrate Japanese culture 
and engage in kind of a conscious diplomatic effort to citizen diplomacy and engaging regular American people uh, to teach them about Japanese culture and uh, share that kind of that culture with them through the Japanese pavilion. So Shofuso is actually located just a, a few hundred yards away from the original site of the Japanese pavilion. After the exposition closed, there was also a uh, what was called Neomon. It was a Japanese temple gate that was originally at the St. Louis World's Fair in 1904. They relocated it to this site in 1905, and it stood there until about 1953 when it burnt to the ground. So there had been this presence of Japanese culture and Japanese traditional culture, and it really made sense to the people in New York that this should be the, the final resting place of Shofuso. Has it been open to the public since it arrived from when it was rebuilt and arrived from New York? Yeah. So since 1958, the house has been open to the public. Initially, there wasn't a lot of investment that was coming from the city, the the parks and rec and Fairmount Park being as large as they are, uh, is difficult to allocate the preservation funds for a a property of this size and, and the specialty architecture. So actually, by the 1970s, the house fell into a state of disrepair. And unfortunately, uh, it had been vandalized many times. The tatami woven mat floors were starting to be torn up. People were poking holes through the shoji screens that separate room to room. And it was actually a group of Japanese Americans, uh, Nisei, second generation American born individuals, many of whom who had actually been in uh, American concentration camps during World War II in the aftermath of Pearl Harbor, who had resettled here in Philadelphia in the post-war era, and took it upon themselves to basically fundraise, reconnect to the Japanese artisans and craftspeople in Japan who had originally built the house, and create a tremendous campaign to restore the property to its original condition. And so by 1982, they created what was called the Friends of the Japanese House and Garden, a 501c3 nonprofit, which is to this day actually the organization that, that maintains the property although we do business as the Japan America Society of Greater Philadelphia. Now, I was fortunate enough, I came out uh, a couple summers ago to experience Shofuso, and it's fascinating. For people that aren't familiar, kind of, if they come out to Fairmount Park to check it out, what will they see? Well, the house is designed in a 17th century style of architecture that's rare to find even in Japan. So when we have people visiting us from overseas, the constant feedback is that, you know, this is really a, a tremendous world heritage site and it's a, a cultural treasure that more people should take advantage of, in, including people in Philadelphia. It's a, a relatively small property, but it, it's a, a wonderfully manicured garden. We have three styles of garden that are, are demonstrated throughout the property, a lake garden, a tea house garden, and a garden that is the interior between the two buildings. The property itself hosts a number of cultural programs throughout the season. Uh, We are open from April through October, Wednesdays through Sundays. And basically the weekends are when we do most of the cultural programming. So during the season this year, we're actually offering a series of free taiko drum workshops just outside of the main gate at Shofuso. And those happen from 1.30 to 4 p.m. every Saturday afternoon. There's a registration page on the website, but it's also a walk-up workshop for people who want to just check it out. 
We also do a lot of work together with both the Urasenke and Omotesenke tea schools. We, we do have a tea house on the property. A lot of people mistakenly call the entire Shopuso a tea house, but we have a small building that's on the site that is specifically designated for the tea ceremony. And so working with the practitioners of this very somber kind of serious art form, people can experience how the art of tea is practiced in Japan uh, if they register in advance. One of the other programs that we've recently started because of where Shofuso is located in the Parkside neighborhood of West Philadelphia, we've been doing a lot of work to engage with the neighborhood residents of Parkside. And so in terms of the demographics of the neighborhood, it is predominantly African-American. And we wanted to acknowledge the overlap and the kind of existing organic connections that Japanese and Japanese-Americans have with the African-American communities through music, through art, through culture, through design. And so we actually have an artist in residence right now, Olufemi Olatunji, Nigerian-born, based in Germantown, who does a series of drawing clubs on site at the house. And so uh, it happens regularly throughout the summer season. And you could follow our website and Facebook for more information on that. But, you know, really the, the site itself is what you make of it. And I think it, it can be as simple as coming for a quiet afternoon to feed the koi fish in the ponds, or it can be more involved because we have dedicated visitor service associates who are proficient museum tour guides. They can give you the entire history of the, the property and uh, a lot more. And, and that's included with the price of your admission. So people should really take advantage of the folks who do work on site. They're happy to share their knowledge with the guests, but of course, want to give people space to explore that space on their own. We have to take a break. We will have more with Rob Busher right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. We are back continuing our conversation on KYW News Radio in depth with Rob Busher. He is Associate Director of Organizational Culture for the Japan America Society of Greater Philadelphia. Ballpark, how many people do you have come through a year? We average about 40,000 people annually. So uh, at least half of those people come from outside of the region. And so it is a very popular tourist attraction. But of course, you know, the other half do come from Philadelphia. We would love to see more local Philadelphians take advantage of this incredible treasure that we have. Uh, it, it really was given as a gift just eight years after the end of World War II from the people of Japan to the people of the United States. It's a tremendous symbol of, of uh, friendship between our two countries. And I think it's also has opportunities to, to be a space in today's society when we have this kind of very divisive, very polarizing political rhetoric, especially for people of different backgrounds to come together in conversation and it just enjoy this space together which is a lot of the work that we are doing currently uh, within the programs of Shofuso. Another kind of aspect of this, it gives you a background, it gives you a scenery that you don't get everywhere. And just it's a gorgeous from a photographic sense. The, the house and garden are incredibly photogenic. I, I haven't seen a single bad photo that's been taken on the property, but it's also a, a place that changes with the seasons. And I think that's really at the heart of the garden design, 
because it's meant to be appreciated from inside of the house and from the veranda. So the garden architects designed it with the design implementation of the house and thinking with each of the seasons that take place from the cherry blossoms in late March and early April to the blooming of the azaleas in early May to the the changing of the fall leaves in uh, September, October. Uh, We have a couple of beautiful Japanese maple trees on the property that turn a a vibrant red color towards the end of the season. And uh, just it's a a space to be beheld at each of the seasons. And I I hope that people can also take advantage of that. And it's just, and you've kind of talked about this throughout our conversation, but it is just, if you're not familiar with Japanese culture, this is a wonderful way to start to learn this gift, this invitation to learn about a culture that maybe you're not familiar with. Yeah. And the house is a great introduction to that, but we also try to throughout the the calendar, whenever there's a, a Japanese holiday or cultural celebration, we bring that into the space. So for example, the month of July celebrates Tanabata, which is the shooting star festival based on a, a myth about a princess who falls in love with uh, a servant. And her father is, is so upset with her that he banishes her to the other side of the Milky Way. And so only every seven years on, on that particular day, July 7th, can she go and, and visit her betrothed on a shooting star. And so uh, Tanabata in, in Japan is celebrated by kind of making these colorful paper streamers that resemble the shooting star. We have them all over the site. We do craft activities with kids during the months of November and December when we get into more of the holiday season. We transform the interior of the house to show how a typical Japanese family would be living in in colder weather in a traditional house like that. So it really is a place that I think to get the full impact of, you would want to come visit again and again at different points in the year. And I'm curious, do you get a lot of people that are interested in the architecture, fans of just architecture and, you know, from that standpoint, people that just want to get a look at it? Yeah, we work closely with a lot of the architecture departments at local universities, particularly at University of Pennsylvania. But in 2020, Shofuso hosted a, a series of exhibitions under the umbrella of Shofuso and Modernism that actually explored some of the connections between Junzo Yoshimura, the architect who built the house, and Frank Lloyd Wright and Antonin Raymond and some of these other extremely prolific American modern architects who actually worked in Japan during the pre-World War II era. And so there was this kind of international exchange that was happening among architects of that generation. And we see the influence of the American architects in Japan, but we also see the influence of Japanese architects in a lot of American mid-century modern architecture. Looking at the house itself, one of the really unique features is the Hinoki bark roof. So the the roof of the house is actually constructed entirely of about 30 layers of cypress hinoki wood that comes straight off of the the tree bark in strips and has to be delicately placed and layered on top of itself. Uh, And actually, we do restoration and uh, full reconstruction of the roof every 40 years because it is a, a style that needs to be replaced constantly. At the same time, it's a a great kind of early throwback to some of the green architecture, environmentally friendly techniques that we see being utilized today 
with living roofs, right? When you're, you're growing plants on or trees on top of buildings to kind of have the, the natural cooling benefits of that. And then also looking at some of the traditional wisdom that, that exists within this style of architecture. We see a, a narrow hallway when you first enter the house that separates the living quarters from the exterior walls. And that particular passage serves as insulation in the winter months when you close the shoji screens on the exterior of the house and the fusama on the interior, that barrier of air really insulates the interior rooms and, and makes it more comfortable and uh, livable temperature. And yet in the summer, you can open the exterior doors and the interior doors and it becomes as breezy as a tent. So it's really this incredible demonstration of how some of these traditional cultures have found ways to navigate the challenges of, of design, the challenges of the environment that predate the kind of modern and Western styles of architecture. If someone is interested, when can they come out? Do they need tickets ahead of time? What's the best way? So we began implementing time tickets during the pandemic just to make sure that we have a, a safe number of people within the space. It is a fully outdoor space. The interior of the house is typically closed for participants unless we have a special program going on at the time. So it is one of the safer sites that people can visit among the kind of ongoing COVID pandemic. But basically, we are open Wednesdays through Sundays from 11 a.m. till 5 p.m. And we offer tickets for $14 for adults. We have some discounted rates for students and seniors and there are other programs throughout the season that sell for separately ticketed programs. And I'm curious, are you open to, to volunteers to help? Uh, you know, if somebody really loves it, has been there, maybe wants to do a little more than, you know, just maybe come back, you know, what should they do? Our biggest event of the year is the annual Cherry Blossom Festival, which takes place usually in the second weekend of April. So absolutely, we, we utilize dozens of volunteers throughout that season. We also do regular cleanups, depending uh, what part of the season we're at towards the beginning and the end of the season. We do have a volunteer sign-up form that's available on our website if folks want to get involved. That's www.japanphilly.org. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.